0: This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. At this point, I want to take a brief pause and talk to you a little bit about the kind of theology, the kind of view of God and man that Luther would have been trained in. Um, this is the scholastic view, um, particularly stemming from a guy named William of Ockham. Um, and I'm cribbing a lot of this from one of my professors, so I won't say that this is all original work here, um, from a guy named David Yego, a really good um, Luther scholar, particularly of this historical stuff. Um, and what I want to talk about this account, this alchemist account of um, human power and divine grace. And after that, we'll take some time, look at the disputation against scholastic theology. and then We'll have the background, and then we'll talk about that and we'll get a good glimpse into what Luther is doing at this time. Um, so the first thing to know about the, the theology that Luther was trained in that formed him... Um, William of Ockham, Gabrielle Beale, um, sort of Duns Scotus, all of these figures, is that human beings, even after the fall, can do everything that God commands in the law by their own pure natural powers. You can do everything. You can even love God above all things because you have the ability to do so. Um, it's interesting here that for this Occamist account, freedom is intrinsic to what it means to be human. And by what they mean by freedom is everything you do, every action, starting from scratch, is pure, unconditioned choice. So there's nothing conditioning um, what you do, what you say, what you believe, and by what, what's really getting swept um, under the rug there is original sin. Original sin does not come in and affect your abilities, your reason, your powers, all of these things. Um, and the, what's curious about this is freedom is so intrinsic to the human being that if original sin changes that, you would no longer be human. Um, so that, that, that's sort of a radical step of saying, Original sin, or sin in general, can't affect your pure natural powers as a human. Otherwise, you become something other than human. So the uh, definition of being human is that free freedom. Yeah, it's that, it's that freedom to, to be able to do everything. Um, like I said, even to love God above all things. Um, Would it be more specific in this kind of Christianized environment that even this philosophy would have said post-fall, post-baptized mm. individuals yeah. were free? Like somehow that maybe the baptism stage, that is few days or whatever, would they, would come and folks say, not free, but baptized and free? No, everybody's just free. Right. Um, Even from birth. Mm-hmm. So baptism didn't factor into their view of like, sweeping original sin under the rug. No, because in this sense, original sin is just... We're, we're just discussing original sin as it touches your, your human abilities. Um, not so much your standing before God. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Yep. So that... Yeah. Oh, well, sorry. Uh, doesn't this kind of spring from, like, their first philosophical principles was like a univocal view of causation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as... They were trying to erode, even what Aquinas had built, as far as the analogy of being goes, right? Right. So it really stems from like a philosophy of just well we saw human do it so then they did it yeah yeah and something we don't really have time to get in here into here right now is that it was a philosophy based on particulars right. rather than universals <laughs> yes um, so mm. uh, it's you know getting rid of plato and focusing on aristotle and all the fallout that comes from that um, but if you, if you have You know the, the natural powers To do all of this To even love God Above all things The question is Why do you need grace? Like what does grace do for you That um, Couldn't Just be done by yourself anyways um, And this is where you start Talking about God um, And just as Humans Are free To do whatever they want According to their pure Natural powers For alchemists or for the scholastics, um, God is completely free to do whatever he wants. He makes the the choices he does because he chooses to do so. That's it. Um, And so the relationship between God and humans is founded on this pactum or this covenant, which is really arbitrarily imposed by God. So just as you are free to do whatever you want to, God is free to do whatever he wants to. Um, and so the thing that this drives to is that even though you are free to do whatever you want, nothing you do has any value to God unless God chooses to value it. Yeah, so that, that's where it starts to get scary. <laughs> nothing you do, even if you're loving God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, it doesn't mean squat Unless God says it does. Unless God um, gives worth and value to that action. Um, Because God is offended by sin. He is offended by sin such that any human act of obedience doesn't necessarily just mean that you are right with God. But rather, um, all of your acts to be good have to be qualified by grace. So... Even though you can do everything by yourself, you really need this grace to kind of infuse it and make it such that it is um, worthwhile to God. So, yeah. Oh, i was just going to... So, Occam's obviously predated Luther, so you're, you're saying that he was sort of interacting with his teaching, and would it be like a, a current person that he was doing that with? Would it be like Erasmus? Is that... just trying to wrap my mind around who he was having these for Occam 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 would have been before Erasmus too Um, he would have been after Aquinas Um, and sort of dealing with all of that Aristotelian theology and also sort of the whole complex of theology that arose up after um, a guy named Peter Lombard Um, that was sort of the main theological textbook at that time Um, but these are mostly sort of Organic developments that are happening here, um, I, you know, at least in my understanding, Occam doesn't come around and propose something entirely out of the blue. Um, so he, he was he was formed and shaped by that time. Can you write his name on the board so I have a correct spelling, please? Yeah. That's O-C-K- OCKHAM. So he was actually from Occam rather than being Occam. We call him (laughs) Occam. Occam's razor. Yeah, Occam's razor. And sometimes you'll see it O C C A M. Those people are just wrong. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, don't don't worry about it. (laughs) I got you going (laughs) Yes, the 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 spelling of Occam. The declaration is all important, right? Yeah, of course. So if your your acts only have value insofar as God values them, we can look at humans and make a distinction. Um, The two of you can be doing the exact same thing, just the way you're supposed to be doing it, Um, but you can make a distinction between someone who is doing an act according to the substance of the thing commanded, which is a sinner. You're just doing the thing that was commanded according to what was said to be done. That's a sinner. The person who is um, working with God's grace is the one who does the act uh, in relation to the intention of God. Um, so, really, it's just making it's just making that critical distinction between um, whether God is valuing your works or not. So, is Occam, a good guy or a bad guy? <laughs> bad guy. Well, if you're a Lutheran. Uh, I mean, he was—he wasn't running around killing puppies or anything. But, so, like, in that you know, in, in that regard, he's perfectly fine. He's just a—he's just a philosopher doing his thing. Okay. Um, but for us, <laughs> he's in the middle of the dark. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, it, it would be
1: but, yeah,
0: radical orthodoxy, people say that, I mean, the... He caused the downfall of the Western downfall society. Of the fragmentation of modern yeah. society is all due to nominalist yeah. philosophy. So he didn't kill puppies, he killed the world. Yeah, yes. basically. Um, so, which may be a worse thing, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. the, the problem with radical orthodoxy, though, is that they're, obviously, they're not good at reading historical texts. Right, right, um, sure. I don't know if you're a fan of radical orthodoxy. I'm indifferent. Okay, I mostly am, too. Um... They're extremely brilliant thinkers, but they couldn't find their way out of a historical text if their life depended on it. Yeah. Um, and I—that sounds like a harsh judgment, probably, but um, you just can't—you can't attribute the downfall of society to anybody, um, especially not Occam. Like the guy would be so disappointed to know that he <laughs> caused all of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're completely free. God is completely free. Your acts only have value insofar as God values them. But here's another interesting thing. When God gives you his grace, when he infuses this grace into you, it doesn't change the intrinsic act itself. Um, The act in its nature stays the exact same. The only thing that might change is that you as a fallen human being might be able slightly more... To do it, like, or sorry, you might be able to do it a little more easily. Um, We don't really. There's sort of fuzzy in terms of if grace really makes things that much easier, but it might make things somewhat easier. Um, And this this is bizarre to me, but faith is just another act, like all other acts. Um, So if a person grew up with a sort of cultural form of Christianity. where you just kind of assume Christianity must be true, but faith doesn't really mean anything to you personally. Um, it's not really different, per se, from faith that is infused with God's grace and which is true faith that counts before God. In other words, uh, Gabriel Beale, one of you know the more important of the nominalist, would say, "We could have a Turk, you know." Turk is a bad guy, living around all of us. He could go to church. He could read scripture. He could pray. He could could confess all of the things um, that we do. He could look just like us in every particular, but he's still damned because his faith is not infused by God's grace. Um, So I think you'll start to see here how this issue of assurance and certainty and comfort um, really grows out of the fact that we don't have any at all um, in what we know about God from this nominalist account. Um, And to understand how God gives us his grace, we have to distinguish between two kinds of merit. And this is something you probably saw in some of your reading. Um, you, You may have passed over, I don't know, but we'll come to it again. Um, There are two ways God gives us his grace Two ways that we merit God's grace The first is that even before we have God's grace um, God can see that it is a good thing to bestow grace on you um, Because you have done your best You have done what is in you to live rightly towards God Um, And again, there are no promises here because God can do um, whatever He wants. He can choose as He wants and all of our actions can look the same. Can I pause there? Yeah. So within that pactum, when you do your best, that's the Fikari Quodens Yes. Is that right? Yes. Isn't He obligated then to, I mean, it's the sanctification that precedes justification. God in the pactum becomes obligated, as it were, to keep His his end of the bargain. In that sense... He's not free, so then omnipotence and sovereignty and all those other sorts of things, which he, the flow out of that, yeah. is that um, that's Beal more than Oppen, or is that? Am I getting all that? We're getting, we're kind of, we're kind of pushing all of these guys together a little bit, but this this first kind of merit is called congruent merit. Um, so it's just a kind of, sorry, I'm not writing this clearly at all. It's it's the merit that fits what you have done by your own natural powers Um, he he bestows this on you because he has predestined you Um, so in that way you might say God isn't free but um, that would be to redefine what freedom is I think for the alchemist because God in his being is ultimately free Um, from our end of things everything is still just going to seem arbitrary because whether he gives grace to you or that Turk um, who's doing everything the same we can't know why Um, so that is the first kind of merit that you receive before grace has been infused Um, the contrast with that is the second kind of merit which is called condign merit Um, And dine is just another way of saying fitting or you know worthy or something like that. Um, because God has promised, as you're saying, God has promised that he will give his grace. He will recognize the merits of those whom he has given this promise to. So when you receive grace in the um, congruent merit, you are then entering into this relationship of promise whereby he's going to honor um, this pact he has with you. So, okay. All right, so your dying marriage, that second one there, is the kind of, it, that's a good thing. Yeah. The other one is a bad thing. So are we saying in this argument, this discussion, we're saying that number two is the best one. That's the proper one. That's the... Truth versus number one, which is false, which is works-oriented. Yeah, great question. Um, no, th- you, you need both of them. The both of them, for the one who is receiving, is good. It's a very good thing. According to scholasticism. Yeah, according to scholasticism. In this mode of thinking, this is a very good thing because you need this to get this, and you need this to be saved, to have eternal life. Um, the, the real distinction here is between in congruent merit, that's before grace has been infused. Um, and so God has no obligation to look on you and say, your works are valid before me, um, so I'm going to give you this grace. It's, it's that sort of, from our side, arbitrary freedom of God to do as he wills. But once he has looked on you and said, I am going to value your works and give you this grace, He's entered into this relationship with you, which we describe by condign merit of saying, you have my promises. As you are obedient, you will continue to receive grace. So those occur in succession. Yeah. You prepare yourself. You do what you can. Mm-hmm. Do what's in you. And so you receive the congruent grace of God. And then once you're in that covenant, that pactum, mm-hmm. and as long as you keep doing what you need to do, he continues to bestow his conjoined grace. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. And I don't honestly know enough about how you could or could not fall out of that. Um, That's the venial of the portal, isn't it? Yeah. But in terms of if you just step back a step or how you fall out of that. Um, Ashley Noel's class. <laughs> yeah, Ashley know yeah. would be a good person yes. to have a conversation took that class okay. last January. And you in on this mm. later. But, yeah. I must have missed it. I, especially, you yeah. helped out a lot. So do, do what you can, do what's in you, and then you receive congruent merit. Yes. Uh, so God starts to work grace and you, but not grace, right? That's just merit, right? Merit. merit, yes. merit. Yeah, you, you, you yeah, merit, merit grace. Yeah. Okay, you merit grace through doing what you can do. Mm-hmm. And then, when exactly do you transition into condign merit? When Once that grace has been infused. Oh, yep. so it's almost time it's like you get... You get the grace and then you start to have yeah. condign merit. Once you've done the good things to warrant, to merit God's grace through this, you immediately enter into this oh, relationship. It's okay, okay. like you get into a relationship with God because you did what was in you. Yeah. Yeah. Then as soon as you're there, then he's obligated by the oh, time, okay. by the yeah. to keep it going. As long as you keep doing what you're doing, he's going to keep doing what yeah. he does. So, right. yeah. yeah. So I have a lot of questions on this. Maybe it's better Uh, With scholastic theology, but I'm not really clear on the relationship. I know it seems like Luther interacts in the scholastic theology. Maybe again I'm too ahead, but on the relationship between grace and nature, Mm -hmm. and and I'm not really clear on. I know that that's a whole big part of Aquinas's theology, and Luther seems to have a very antithetical view between grace and nature. So I'm not really sure how he's interacting with that. Maybe I'm too early, but it seems related to this conversation. It it is and. The reason I wanted to take this time to set this up is because we'll take a break in a little bit, and then we'll come back, and I'll give you some time to read through some of the select theses from the Disputation Against Scholastic Theology, and I think you will see this everywhere. Um, And then we'll we'll talk about it, and maybe through talking about it, some of that stuff will become clear. Um, So the thing to recall here is, again, that the worthiness of what you do before God, of your actions, um, are based on whether God chooses to value them as such. Um, Everything is based on a deep sense of freedom, of human freedom, that you can do whatever you can according to your pure natural powers, and God's freedom to choose whether or not to value those works. So that's hell. Healed. It's pretty <laughs> it's rough. Good news. it's, it's <laughs> hell. I can see why Luther's nuts, because it's hell. That's a crazy place to live. Yeah. Crazy making. Yeah. Yeah, and and from the time of his Reformational breakthrough to the very end of his life, um, it's all based on how can I actually give people um, certainty, like full certainty, because um, we don't want you wondering whether my acts have been valued by God. We don't want you thinking about what is in me as my powers to do. Um, That's why Luther turns everything outward and external. This is sort of everything is internal to you and whether God looks within you and finds the right thing. And all of Luther's theology, of course, is saying the only way to have any comfort and assurance is to look at Christ. You follow the finger of John the Baptist pointing to Jesus on the cross for you. Um, so, it's, it's, it's turning everything on its head, um, and the, disputa- the disputation against scholastic theology was a pretty radical document, and we'll, we'll see that in just a few minutes. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus, or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.